0: love that laughter right some smiles i didn't know you liked mint chocolate chip you know so today we're gonna talk in first corinthians the beginning of first corinthians so if you have your bibles with you i uh, would like to take notes i encourage you to open your bibles to the beginning of first corinthians the text is also on the back of your worship sheet and i'll also go over the verses on the screen as I talked about, the beginning of 1 Corinthians is encouragement. It's always good to be encouraged. It's good to have some people support you, not only in times of when you're down, but also when you're fired up, you're ready to go. And I, uh, as I was preparing for this message, it made me think of a coach giving that pregame speech, the win-one for the gipper. And I wanted to talk about this story uh, from Jimmy Valvano. Some of you may know who this guy is, and some of you may not. Um, He was a coach who won a collegiate men's basketball championship in 1983. And he talked about his first time giving encouragement to his freshman basketball team at Rutgers University. As he was preparing for this, he looked up to his favorite coach of all time, Vince Lombardi, of the Green Bay Packers. So one time, Lombardi made his players sweat a little bit. The time kept ticking down until the players needed to take the field. And so three minutes come, where the player's about to take the field, and Vince Lombardi comes in and busts the doors emphatically. He yells, all eyes on me, all eyes on me. And he said, gentlemen, you will be successful if you focus on three things, your family, your religion, and the Green Bay Packers. And the players responded. They fired up, they slammed the lockers, went out in the field, and went ready for victory. So Jimmy Valvano, he decided he was going to copy this speech for his freshman basketball team at Rutgers. Jimmy Valvano at this time is 21 years old, coming in to encourage 19-year-olds. And he practiced, told himself to remember, your family, your religion, and Rutgers basketball. So he did it. He made his players wait. He created a little tension in the room. As the time for the players to take the floor reached three minutes, Valvano did the same thing of trying to bust the doors down emphatically. So he tried to bust the doors down, but the doors wouldn't open. And so he hurt his arm. Soon the players were coming to him and said, "Uh, Coach, can we help you up? Can you help you up? Ah, get away. No, 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 get away. So he's coming in with an arm, trying to regain feeling in his arm. And he says, Gentlemen, you will be successful if you do three things. Your family your religion, and the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) Valvano never forgot that humorous attempt at encouragement. Today, in our text, St. Paul gives encouragement, just like a coach, to the people at Corinth. And part of being a good coach and a good leader is knowing the strengths and the weaknesses of your team, knowing their stories, knowing who they are as people, knowing the area where they live, knowing their homes, what they like, what they don't like. Paul started the church at Corinth, and he spent 18 months there. He knew these people at Corinth well and the challenges that the church faced. To understand the history of Corinth, I'm going to talk about Corinth a little bit. So Corinth is located on an isthmus. I'm going to try, it's a difficult word to say, I-S-T-H-M-U-S, isthmus. And as you see, it's a land bridge between two seas. Corinth was 50 miles west of Athens, and you could cross it by foot to get to Corinth, or you could sail to it. And so it was important for economic trade, military defense. The city of Corinth was wealthy, diverse, a metropolis of many different thoughts and cultures, made up of Jews, Greeks, and Italians. And the biggest challenge to the baby Christians at this church in Corinth was the diversity of beliefs, beliefs and idols. Beliefs in multiple gods, lowercase gods. Corinth also had a reputation for immorality. And it is in this place that St. Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to plant a church. So the start of the church in Corinth, it's recorded in Acts 18. I'm going to give a brief overview of it before we keep going further. St. Paul worked as a tent maker to make ends meet when he was in Corinth. And so as he worked as a tent maker, he was also preaching. And his ministry didn't start smooth. He was in a synagogue, and he was preaching to the Jews, but the Jews became abusive to St. Paul. And so St. Paul left the synagogue, said, okay, guys, I'm leaving, and he goes next door. And he goes next door to the house of Titus Eustus, Titus Eustus, who's just described in Acts 18 as a worshiper of God. And it was with the support of the neighbor to the synagogue that many of the Corinthians heard the message they believed, and were baptized. So St. Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half until he left to go to Syria. This church in Corinth, they began to experience some issues. They reached out to Paul for counsel. Paul wrote not just one letter to the Corinthians, he wrote two. And Paul's letters contained the most counsel that he directed to one congregation. We have Galatia, we have Ephesia, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. These are all letters that St. Paul writes to churches to give them advice, to give them counsel, to follow the word of the Lord. And so these letters that he wrote to Corinth were the most that he spent time on in terms of writing. And the first letter is believed to be when this church at Corinth was four years old. A bunch of baby Christians navigating the world of immorality to follow Jesus. And so if you skim through the headings in 1 Corinthians, it gets pretty serious A church divided over leaders, dealing with a case of incest, lawsuits between members, idle feasts, and that is just the first 10 chapters. St. Paul wrote to this church in Corinth with a delicate balance of encouragement and discipline. And if you lean too far to one side of encouragement or discipline, you run the risk of losing your audience. Too far to discipline, your team, your people may think you don't care for them. You only care about results. Maybe you lose trust from your team. You side too far to encouragement, you may encourage bad habits. You may blur the line of authority, your ability to discipline when a bad habit goes too far. And you may lose respect from your team, the ability to lead because you become too friendly. St. Paul most certainly did not want to encourage the immoral behaviors that were happening at the church in Corinth. So we have a challenge for St. Paul. How do you strike the balance between discipline and encouragement? And he even writes, St. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 4 shall I come to you, Corinth, the people, the church, with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? This first letter that Paul writes to Corinth, it's important for us today. These conflicts that the church was dealing with, it's still conflicts that we deal with. There are idols and there are gods that are competing for your attention. You can't go too far without being hit with an advertisement something you might need. The good and the bad influences of TikTok and Instagram, they're there, there's good things and there's bad things with it. It's very easily accessible. And then there are leadership struggles in our world, not only in government, but also in business. For example, it just took 15 votes for a Speaker of the House to be elected. There's sexual immorality, there's lust, conflicts between members of Christian congregations within Christian congregations, within families. We're not immune to the reality of sin in the world. So we are called to address sin. St. Paul writes, Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin, alive in Christ. How can we live in sin any longer? We are to address sin and we are to discipline As it says in Ephesians, parents, we do not provoke our children to anger, but instead we discipline, we give instruction in the Lord. So this introduction in 1 Corinthians that St. Paul gives is a good template of how to address sin, how to address issues, how to address conflict, encouragement, before speaking discipline in love. So with that background that St. Paul is counseling the church in Corinth, you've just heard the variety of issues that the church is facing. St. Paul does not come out angry, condescending. He does not say, you guys are all going to hell. does not say any of that. He comes with grace and with peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You may have heard these words before. These words are very commonly used at the beginning of a Lutheran message to remember the grace that Jesus gives to us, to remember the peace that Jesus left with his disciples and gives to his disciples who continues to give us grace and peace. This is a great model for us in our conversations with one another here in in Walker Hall, outside in the courtyard in our neighborhoods with Christians and non-Christians. So with grace and peace, we now encourage. And so I want to talk about four encouragements today in today's reading that are true for us today. As Paul encouraged the people of Corinth, take these encouragements as encouragements for you as well. You are called. 1 Corinthians 1-2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified meaning made holy. In our baptism, we were redeemed. We were called a child of God. We were made a new creation. And so along with the people of Corinth, we have been set apart from this world, not to conform to the patterns of the world, but to transform our minds, reminding that grace and mercy in the daily baptism that we have, putting off our old self and putting on spirit-filled thoughts, spirit-filled desires, spirit-filled actions. We are chosen A royal priesthood, holy nation, a God's special possession. We are his. You once were not a people. In our sin we were in darkness, but a marvelous light has dawned upon us. We are the people of God. We have received mercy through his redemption at the cross. And the last thing of being called and sanctified is that you are worth fighting for. Christ humbled himself to take on mortality. He fought death on our behalf, so that when I die someday, when we die someday, being united in baptism with Christ, as Christ was raised from the dead, we too shall rise with him, and so that the mortal might become immortal. Second, he encourages the church at Corinth that they are not alone. You are not alone. Look to your left, look to your right. There are people here, people with you, Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Every Sunday, every Sunday is an opportunity to know that you are not alone. To greet each other with names, handshakes, see people in the courtyard, coffee, donuts, give a hug, give a handshake, ask how you're doing. To support one another in the following of Jesus, in his teachings. To uplift one another, to repent together, to confess our sins to one another and in the, in the group and the assembly of his believers. And not only to be repentant and to have hearts of humility and repentance, but to also equally receive that forgiveness that Christ gives, to be forgiven people in Jesus so that we too may forgive others who sin against us, to witness grace and new life in his sacraments, in baptism. Whenever a child is baptized, whenever an adult is baptized, that is a moment to give thanks. Never take those baptisms for granted. There are churches that celebrate just as the one is brought home out of the 99, that every baptism we have in this church and around the church of God is a moment to be celebrated and encouraged and to taste forgiveness. Not only in baptism do we see witness and grace, we taste it we are going to taste it today. And in communion with one another, in unity of the body, of spirit, of confession, and also to unity of those who have gone on before us with the communion of saints. This is a... I love the ability to gather together. It's something we lost during COVID. And I think it's something, too, as, as we get further out of the pandemic It's an opportunity for us to remember how good it is to be together and to encourage one another until Christ comes again. Not only in worship, but we also can encourage in every homebound, hospital visit, phone calls, letting people know that they are not alone. When we sing together, when we pray together, when we confess the creed together, we are hearing one voice, multiple voices of different tonalities, maybe some are better singers than others, but it is one voice, the lyrics together as the congregation, as the body of Christ. And I pray that you have encouragement from that. And as it's not just one voice here in California, we're unified with the church in the world. So not just here in California, it's on the East Coast. Not just on the East Coast, it's in Africa. It's in Kenya. It's in the Middle East. It's in China. All of these places where the, the people of Christ gather around the word, and celebrate the victory of eternal life that they have in his name, we are confessing with one voice together. So that gift of faith, that bonds and encourages us. The third thing I want to say is that you are prepared to serve. And that encouragement is given in this from 1 Corinthians 1.5. In him you have been enriched in every way, all kinds of speech, all kinds of knowledge. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. You may think you may not know what to say in situations of conflict, situations when you're with someone that's sick, someone that is ill, someone in need of encouragement. In Christ, your tongues are prepared to speak for Him. Our words may be like St. Paul's, as he writes in 1 Corinthians 2 may not be wise, may not be persuasive, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf, it hears our groans. And so we can grow in with people, we can be with people, beside people. Our faith does not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. So not only are our tongues prepared to speak about Christ, our minds are prepared to think about him as well. We resolve to know nothing but Christ crucified. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, has been revealed to us through the Spirit. The Spirit which is good and working within us. And that is really, really cool. Last thing I want to encourage you, as Paul writes, we've talked about the the call, that we're not alone, that we're prepared to serve. And the last thing is that you have supernatural support. He will keep you firm to the end. God is faithful. It is not I will keep myself firm to the end. It is he who will keep me firm to the end. I have support beyond my own abilities, beyond my works, beyond what I can do, beyond my human wisdom. I have support. And so I do not have to rely on my own strength. I can trust in the faithfulness of God. I can cast my cares on him because he cares. It is into this world that our Savior came. Our Savior was a coach too. He coached 12 disciples, taught them disciplines in following him, and told them they were going to have trouble in this world. But encouraging them to say, take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus sent those disciples out to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, despite all the perils that would happen to those disciples. He encouraged them, let them know he would be with them always, and that he would keep them firm to the end. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. By the Holy Spirit, St. Paul was sent to Corinth to preach the gospel. By the Holy Spirit, you're here right now. In time and space, St. John's, Orange, California, to encourage one another, to go out into your community to share the good news of Jesus, to share the love that you have felt from Jesus, for he first loved us, and so now I go out and love others. That speech that Jimmy V. gave earlier He gave that speech at the first ever ESPYs as he was receiving the Arthur Ashe Courage Award, March 3rd, 1993. It was less than two months before he would pass away to cancer. He was in the middle of that fierce battle, and his body was covered with tumors as he gave that speech. And his speech is one of the most popular for encouragement for those battling cancer with the words, don't give up, don't ever give up. God gives you encouragement to don't give up. Don't ever give up. Remain firm to the end through his word, through his sacraments, through his community, through cancer, through illnesses, through death, through wars, through pandemics, through church conflict, personal conflict, adversities. Nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. That is our promise. And there's no better encouragement than that. So we communicate with those we encounter in grace And peace. And until that last day comes, when Jesus comes, we don't neglect to meet, but we gather. We sing. We pray. We praise. We remind each other that we're called. We're not alone. We're prepared to serve. You don't lack anything. You don't lack any spiritual gift. You have it. And we have supernatural support. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. By the Holy Spirit, trust and rely. Upon the firm foundation of the Lord, he is your rock and fortress, my rock, my fortress. And with him, you will not be shaken. In the name of Jesus, amen.